This is So What Does Judaism Say About? Where we discuss all kinds of life topics and challenges and what Judaism says about them. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me as always is the tasteful Rabbi Mayor Beer. Rabbi Beer, how you doing? Fantastic. <laughs> Happy to hear that. What does Judaism say about the sukkah? All right, the sukkah. I'm going to throw some wild stuff your way. And then I want to hear what Islam has to say about the sukkah. Yeah, it's a funny thing when you say, what does Judaism say about, and then something that's Jewish-related? It's yeah, a funny from thing. From the Islamic perspective, you might have to ask someone else. Okay. But uh, let's let's do the sukkah. We're gonna, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll present some uh, new ideas, which uh, might not have flown your way. And for those who don't know, the sukkah is the booth, the festival of booths, this three or four-walled structure with the... Slat roof on top and out of grass and bamboo. That thing. That thing. That's it. All right. So, the sukkah. What does the sukkah represent? It's a symbolism of? The clouds of glory. The clouds of glory. God's presence uh, was surrounding the Jewish people while they were in the desert. This is called the Ananiah Covenant, the clouds of glory. They had this tangible connection to God while they were in the desert. And we remember that by building a booth. Made of wood. <laughs> on the 15th of Tishrei. Right. Now, the other two major, I should say four major biblical holidays, um, we have Passover, we have Shavuot, the beginning of the Torah, are both days which correspond to events in the Jewish calendar. The Jews of Egypt. The Jews receive the Torah. We come to Rosh Hashanah, it's the day of creation. Then we have Yom Kippur, the 10th day of the month of Tishrei, and the holiday of Sukkot on the 15th day of Tishrei, which correspond to what on the calendar? Not clear. Very not clear. Very not clear. So, the starting point of our discussion will be this. Let's trace this, and the point that you just made, that this represents the divine presence that the Jewish people were able to connect with. It's always tough to talk about something that when you translate it, you still don't know what it means. Then on your cover, oh sure, the clouds of glory. Oh right, now I get it. But open in 20 minutes, you have a better idea. <laughs> Sure, of course. <laughs> we'll go for it. So, the Jewish people sin at the golden, at the, with the golden calf, by creating the golden calf. There's a 40-day period uh, during which God is angry at them. Then there is another 40-day period. Uh, I'm sorry. We start with the giving of the Torah. 40 days later, the Jewish people create the golden calf. God is upset at them for 40 days. Then, um, on the beginning of the month of Elul, Moses goes back up to get the second tablets. Moses returns with the Jewish people fully forgiven on the 10th of Tishrei, which is the day we celebrate uh, We celebrate Yom Kippur commemorating this forgiveness. And then five days later, we celebrate on the 15th the holiday of Sukkot. The Vilnagon writes that after God forgave the Jewish people, he commanded them to build the tabernacle. The, this, these clouds of glory, as they were, left the Jewish people when they built the golden calf. God commands the Jewish people, after he forgives them, to build the tabernacle, to bring his presence back into the camp. There's a four-day period in which they're gathering all the supplies and gathering all the craftspeople. And then on the 15th, when they start building the tabernacle, the divine presence comes back. So now, now to commemorate this, we celebrate the holiday of Sukkot, which is the day that the clouds of the world return to the Jewish people in the camp. So that's the historical connection. But there's got to be something more connecting these 
final two days on the calendar, Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Uh, just the essence of forgiveness of this new leaf that, that you know, we can turn over uh, to this holiday. So the next step on uh, our discussion will be a, um, a passage, the Talmud in Tractate of Adizara on page 3, relates that uh, at some later point in history, the um, nations of the, you know, groups of people, nations of the world that have been, that have been uh, immoral will come to God and ask God for a second chance. So these groups of people will come to God and say that, you know, we, uh, we, want, uh, we want another chance. And God will say that, look, you know, you kind of blew it, but I'll give you a chance. I'll give you an easy mitzvah. Build a sukkah. They build a sukkah. God makes it very hot. They leave the sukkah in frustration and they kick at the sukkah. And because of this frustration, they will not make good on their second chance. Now, what? why this mitzvah? Right, why so, the mitzvah of so, the sukkah? So, the, so this is the end of days. The world is, is coming to its conclusion, whatever that means, at the end of whatever God's mission for all of us here on earth is. And the, the rest of the world is sort of frustrated in the fact that they didn't get to participate, you know, presumably with the Jewish people in some or, way. Or some of them, you know. Some of them. There, there will be, hopefully, a lot of non-Jews that will be right. just fine and dandy. Right. But the there will be groups of people who are not fine and dandy. Who are not fine and dandy. And they demand sort of a second yeah, chance. Correct. Right. And the second chance that they're given is the... Build the sukkah. Build the sukkah. It's very hot. They get frustrated. They kick the sukkah and God says, okay, you see my point. Well, what's the point? What's the deeper message behind this? <laughs> this is obviously a... a, a Who know, would do that? How would you blow a second chance like that? Come on! Well, you know, usually it's not like some little trivial, like, you know... Must have been pretty hot. Must have been pretty hot. Must have been pretty hot. <laughs> kind of hot in these rhinos. <laughs> so we'll get to the essence of what the sukkah means by breaking down this, this passage in the Talmud. There's a passage in the beginning of, of, of Tractate Sukkah, which I know you've, uh, you've studied, uh, the Talmud writes that all seven days of the holiday of Sukkot, we leave our dearest keva, our established places that we live in, and we, we dwell in the dearest ara, in a temporary dwelling. That is like the definition of the holiday of Sukkot. Go dwell, spend as much time as you can in the Sukkot, this temporary, you know, somewhat unstable structure. So, you know, you can eat there, you can, you can, you can relax there, if you're, you know, if you're game enough, you can sleep in there. Um... But this expression evokes something deep. And that is that the, the essence of the sukkah, what the sukkah means, what the sukkah is representing for us, is getting in touch with our core essence, our core values. So a person has a job, has a career, which hopefully they find satisfying, they find fulfilling. It's, it's a way for them to express themselves, express their ambitions and their, their goals. But are you really your career? Is your financial, are your financial goals, is your house, which represents your physical, earthly accomplishments, the real you? Or is it your morality, your spirituality, your deeper essence? Right. So on the holiday of Sukkot, we are saying the dearest Kevin, we leave the established, physical boundaries that we live in, and we go into the dearest Arai to show that, although this is obviously something we're going to spend a lot of time on and is important to us, it isn't necessarily the defining essence of who we are. We aren't our careers. We aren't the money we make. We are us. We happen to make money and have careers. But the real boils down to we have something deeper and more spiritual to ourselves. And those groups of people that blow, that blew it, you know, so to speak, at the end of the days, are going to say, give us a second chance. And God is going to explain to them, like, you understood uh, intellectually this concept of having a deeper essence. 
But go build this sukkah and see that it isn't really you. That essence isn't there. When I tell you to leave Diras Kara and go into Diras Arai, go into the temporary dwelling, meaning now relate to the world as not being your core identity. They couldn't they do it. They can't do it, because yeah. it isn't them. So it's not like they blew a little, a little trick, or, or the magician fooled them. No, this is a message telling them why you're not a very deep and powerful spiritual person. Because you are too anchored, and, too, and are identifying too strongly with this world. What does the, uh, the sun represent, the heat represent? So I think that means the difficulties that people have in this world. You know, people are in this world and they get frustrated because, you know, they, 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 they wanted a promotion and they didn't get it. Well, if their whole, if their whole essence, their whole definition, how they view themselves is their career, now their life has been dramatically affected. Or you can just say, like, look, I have, I have something besides my career. Somebody scratches the new Mercedes you bought. If you define yourself with your Mercedes, it's very traumatic. Otherwise, it's like, well, the car still drives great. I'll get the thing buffed out. Like, what of it? But people who identify with their possessions too much, so it's not a question of if you like possessions or if you have possessions. It's a question of, is this you? And the idea of the sun beating on their dwelling says that sometimes, suddenly, that this world gets a little uncomfortable and some people can't cope. That's really, really interesting. And, and obviously powerful and... You know, when you're sitting in the sukkah, you, you do feel that. You know, anybody who has the opportunity to sit in the sukkah with your friends and family, crispy, you, you, you feel something very different. And I, I can imagine how frustrating it would be for someone that you just kind of plopped in there who, like, didn't get it. <laughs> like, why? It's cold. Like, you know, what's, or it's hot. But they do. We're going to have these great meals, but yeah. somehow in, in the surrounding, which is somehow a little less stable, a little less comfortable. Now, obviously, if it rains in the sukkah, uh, 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 it's unbearably hot, you can leave. Well, that's what's interesting, is that when it got unbearably hot for the, in the Gemara Yishev, from the Lord of Zion, and, and the people who, who didn't merit sort of participating in, in whatever you know, God has for us to store at the end of time, right, who didn't merit that, it was so hot that they could have just left the sukkah and like, oh, okay, it's too hot. Because it, it, if the sukkah's too hot and it's uncomfortable, you're, you're supposed to leave. So, But well, that idea of being frustrated, yeah, of, of, of like, you know, I can't function anymore. Right. It's like, okay, this is not it. Like, you move on. And that is the people, like, that's, that's a litmus test to see if you if you actually have a healthy connection to the, you know, your association with this world. Right. Like, look what happens when it gets a little stressed. Right. You can just be like, okay, I'm going dis- to disconnect a little bit. And the opposite is also true, right? Someone who sits in the sukkah, you know they are, it's raining and pouring. They're not supposed to do that either. Supp- right. They're supposed to leave. You're called a, like, a, like a, a righteous fool. A righteous fool. Righteous, though? I just fool. But, but right That's this? a derogatory uh, term. <laughs> yeah. So, a little bit of a deeper level. Rabbeinu Bachai has a long Kabbalistic essay uh, on the, the uh, symbolism of the sukkah. Uh, I'll share one piece of it, which is maybe the only piece that I can share from this essay. He quotes a, a passage from the Talmud in, in Tractate Menachus on page 29, which says, This world was created with the letter Hay the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and the world to come was created the letter Yud, the tenth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The letter He is shaped like a, uh, an upside-down U with a little gap, um, which he says, the letter He also has the numerical value of five, which he, rep- which he says represents, it's a fraction of the number ten, which is like the complete number of units that we, that we use, and it represents both the five senses that we explore this world with, and the idea that we're, you know, struggling to, 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 find an identity and, and find meaning in this world and, and, you know, all the things that people struggle with in their development. It's like you're always halfway there. Right, exactly. So you enter the sukkah in the Tzuras HaPesach, which is the opening of the sukkah, 
which looks like the letter hay, and the minimum height of the sukkah is ten handbreadths, representing the perfect, complete spiritual domain of the number ten. The number ten is also the smallest Hebrew letter because the you know like the singularity of something which is complete of spirituality is something which is represented by a small letter. The yud. The yud. So the 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 process of walking into the sukkah is using the this world that, which is represented by the by the letter hey, the number five, and going into the sukkah, which is the number ten, this complete, wholesome, you know, fully developed area that we seek to travel travel to uh, in in our lives. In a in a similar vein, taking this uh, a notch further, there are a lot of Kabbalistic sources which uh, associate uh, the forefather Jacob Yaakov with the sukkah. Uh, the Torah writes that Yaakov built and dwelled in, in, in a place called Sukkot. Now, this is like a little bit of a, um, of a veiled reference. The Torah writes, And Yaakov traveled to Sukkot, and he built a house there, and he built Sukkot, and therefore the place was called Sukkot. So he traveled to a place called Sukkot, built Sukkot there, lived there in the sukkah, and that's why it was called sukkahs. Yeah, this is like one of these little passages in the Torah which doesn't seem to have, you know, much connection to the story uh, that is described in the Torah. The, um, so these Kabbal- there's, a, there's a number of Kabbalistic sources which say that the sukkah is most strongly represented by Yaakov. Now, when we get to the three of the patriarchs, we have Abraham, Isaac, Avraham, Yitzhak, and then Yaakov, Jacob, the... Um, in, in Jewish philosophy, Avraham represents the attribute of kindness. Yitzhak represents the attribute of strength, of, of like internal uh, self-discipline. development, exactly, self-discipline. Yaakov represents completeness. Now, Avraham connected to God with something specific, kindness. Yitzhak connects to God completely with um, this idea of discipline, this idea of, of just self-development and like strong internal work. Yaakov is not tied down to anything. He's chesed, he is din, he is the kindness, he is the discipline. Whatever it takes, his ultimate goal is this complete connection to God, with nothing else attached. And the sukkah, because by, by its definition, by its construction, by the fact that it's this loose diras arai, this loose, you know, transient, you know, structure, is represented by Yaakov because he's the person who's not grounded or tied down to anything in his pursuit of completion. He is the he is the one of the he's the final of the um, of the of, of the patriarchs and the third level of that development in the sense that he's not tied down to a specific you know personality type or a specific attribute. Now Avam had to be the first one. Chesed is the building block of Judaism. Yitzhak is the progression into then taking that, like, caring about other people and working in, inwards with it. And Yaakov is the person who says, look, these two fundamentals and foundations have been built. Now I can just do whatever it takes to be that complete and, 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 and wholesome person. And that not being tied down to anything is very much represented by the sukkah. So Sukkot is the end of the holiday schedule. It's also the end of this development of the first period uh, of the forefathers. And it's the, end, it's the end of two cycles. It's the end of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. And it's also the end of Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. It's the end of both cycles. Exactly. And also, what it is, is uh, it is connected to the second of the Luchot, 
of the tablets. So on the holiday of Shavuot, when the Torah was given, the first Lukos were given. And on Yom Kippur, when the Jewish people were forgiven, they got the second of the, of the tablets. The Talmud in Tractate of the Kama writes that the second of the two tablets has the word tov in it, the word good, because it would never break. There was a certain permanence from the second of the two tablets. The uh, Sajidon, this is going back very far in history, um, writes that the second of the, ta- of the sets of the tablets was greater than the first set because it was given on Yom Kippur and also represented a combination of struggle. The Jewish people had sinned. The Jewish people had blown it with the golden calf, but they had progressed and developed past that. And that is a complete and full development. The holiday of Shavuot was a great day. The Torah was given to the Jewish people after, you know, shortly after they left Egypt. But then they slipped up. And the fact that they were able to rebuild and reconnect with God and reestablish that relationship is a stronger establishment than, than the connection they had the first time. And this is, as recorded from the Vilna Milan, the progression of the holidays. We have Pesach, we have Shavuos, and we have Sukkot. We're at that final step where, you know, so to speak, in a, in a marriage, there's the honeymoon period, and then sometimes there's fighting, and, and the couple might need to go to a therapist. But when they work out their, their issues, and they, they're able to get past that, they're able to develop their relationship in a fuller and more complete way. My, uh, my mom is right, based on a number of passages in the Talmud, that the joy we have on Sukkot is greater than the joy we have on the other holidays. It says even though there's a mitzvah to have joy on every holiday, that which happens on Sukkot is a greater level of joy. And that's what that's what's referred to. I mean, Passover is called the, the you know the the, the 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 time of our freedom, and Shavuos is called the time of receiving Torah, and Sukkot is literally called the time of happiness, exactly. time of our joy. It's not called anything else. It is the it is literally the holiday of happiness. And in the temple, the Talmudites, there were, there were huge parties. Jugglers and, and fire, torches. Fire and there, there were parties. And in Israel, you, you know, pl- you know and in places in the United States, they'll have what they call the Simcha Space of Shreva, these joy, joyous uh, parties trying to revoke these parties that were held in, in, in the temple. Merrymaking. <laughs> there you go. Now, getting back to this cycle, the uh, in the holiday prayers, uh, it, it says, in the middle blessing of the, of the Shemona Esrei, uh, we were chosen, and then we were loved, and then we were and then you wanted us. Right. So there's this progression of Bechira, we were chosen, God loves the Jewish people, and then he wanted us. So the, uh, the progression follows exactly this same progress that we're going through. We were chosen on Passover. God took the Jewish people out of Egypt. We were picked. The Jewish people accepted the Torah, this is the initial stage of love. After the sin of the golden calf and the Jewish people get back on track with, and are forgiven on Yom Kippur, and finally they are able to bring back God's presence to the camp by reestablishing fully their connection, then the Tzitzbon and God once again wants them. It's a little more subtle, and maybe it isn't as exciting as the, so to speak, wedding day, as the, you know, the initial love, but it's a stronger, richer, and more deeply and permanently attached connection that the Jewish people are able to develop. And once again, we symbolize that by showing that our core identity isn't the world we live in, but is the spiritual essence that the circle represents. Everything else around us, all the other parts of our identity representing our house, are transient now compared to the inside of the circle, compared to the connection to God that we're seeking to develop. And, and you're creating a whole new atmosphere. You know, you're, 
you're moving in, you're moving into the circle. Everything else you're bringing into your life with all of its externalities. You bring Passover Seder into the house. You bring, you bring, uh, you bring, um, you know, Shavuos into the synagogue. Or into, this you're going out. You're actually going out and saying, okay, I'm going to develop this relationship further. It's going to express myself sort of inside of me. It's a very beautiful idea. Um, a lot of that stuff is, is really worth thinking about more, and like as, especially as we head towards Sukkot, um, coming up here for listening soon. But I hope everybody ha- it does enjoy it and feels the joy of what it means to express your, your inner self. <laughs>